a special edition of NZSA Live. The following content was recorded at our 2018 National Writers Forum. We're releasing it as part of NZSA Connect to help New Zealand authors and writers stay connected during the COVID-19 national lockdown. Today's podcast features audio recorded at the panel discussion, Who Needs Books When You've Got Digital Platforms? The panel included Rhonda Kite, Edwin McRae, and was chaired by Pip Adam. decision. We're going to start and then we'll just welcome Rhonda in when she's ready to come. Um, so what is really great is that, um, why are we standing? I feel like we're on Oprah. Yeah, should we say it? <laughs> That's very cool. That's also quite, it's a, oh, also now quite I feel Oprah. like I'm more on Oprah. That's even weirder. Um, <laughs> so yeah, first of all, I'd just like to welcome you to this session, which is um, um, provocatively called um, Who Needs Books When You've Got Digital um, Platforms? And um, we have two amazing speakers here. Um, we're going to start with Edwin McRae. So Edwin's been developing stories for the screen for 12 years. Originally, Edwin was a um, storyliner and scriptwriter for television. Um, but more recently, um, he's been working as a narrative designer for video in the video game industry. Um, I was going to take a minute now and just see if everyone looked at their phones and, I don't know, like, how many people have got apps on their phone at the moment? That's a silly question. <laughs> what was the last app you used? Uber. What's that? Uber? <laughs> Air New Zealand. Google Maps. Google Maps. <laughs> Kindle, yep, yep. Oh, I've been on Kindle too. That's, that was the last app I used on my iPad this morning, oh, Kindle. There you go. So that's interesting. What's Fifi, that? what's that? What's that? Yeah. Audible. Audible. Oh, cool. Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Cool. Um, so um, I think that one of the best ways, I'm just going to name some of these amazing games that um, Edwin has worked on. He's worked on Guardian, Splash, um, Etherlight, Bloodgate, um, and Indie Music Manager. I don't know that one. Um, it came out ooh, quite a few years ago now. That was one of the first games I worked on, in fact. And um, it was a it was designed to teach um, up and coming musicians who wanted to get into the indie music industry just about the about the industry. Awesome. Uh, so that was made by Stephen Knightley and In Game, and it got um, a good chunk of um, New Zealand on e-funding mm. to make it. Yeah, mm. but yeah, that was quite a while ago now. Yeah, awesome. You're going to perhaps show us something a little bit more recent today, eh? Yes, I shall. Okay. So Edwin's going to, we're going to, maybe we welcome Edwin. Yay. And Edwin's going to start with a little presentation, so we're going to dim the lights. All right. So um, Guardian was made uh, with uh, Meteor Interactive, who are based here in Auckland. Uh, Maru Niho Niho is the, um, is the creator of, of that um, company. And um, it was... Uh, her story that she wanted to tell, and she's been um, developing this story. Gosh, we first talked about it at least 10 years ago, um, and she had been working through different ways of how she was going to tell the story. And then we finally, about oh, five, year, five years ago, started talking about um, game books because there was a, a resurgence beginning to happen um, of interactive fiction and game books. And what I mean by that is the old choose-your-own-adventure fighting fantasy game books were making a comeback in digital form. Um, and that's only just grown um, since then. So um, we thought, well, let's, as a, as a way to just explore the story, this won't be the final Guardian product. Um, she has a big 3D RPG game that she wants to make out of Guardian, but, you know, that's a 2 or $3 million prospect. So um, we decided, let's start small. We'll make an interactive fiction of Guardian and um, see how we go from there. So this is a quick example of uh, what it looks like. Now, if I go quick.
And that's Guardian. Awesome. Thank you. Apparently, this is teach lighting. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you want to? I can we talk a little bit about this as a? Is this something that happens a lot in the industry where you have an idea for a huge game and then you um, perhaps do this kind of what would you call it? It's like a um, proof of concept. Proof of concept. Mm. Yeah. Um, is that the sort of thing? That you would do, like, is that is that something that happens in the industry, or is it particular to this project? Yeah, I mean, it is. It should happen more in the industry. I've been, I've seen cases where um, you've got a, you know, a multi-million do, um, dollar outfit will tackle it, uh, tackle a big project. Um, so yeah, one t- oh, quite tragic example was they set up a whole studio, they poured, I don't, a million dollars into it. Um, and then got through it and realised, no, this isn't going to work, fired everybody and, and started on the next project. And that was, uh, if only they'd made a little game first that just explored the concepts to see if um, it was going to be fun, if it was going to tell the right stories that they wanted to tell and if it was the right way to do it. If only they'd done that and then moved on to the big project. But um, that's not all the way, not, not the way the, the AAA industry works but definitely for indies when you're faced with the fact that um you know we were we've we're super chuffed to to get say twenty five thousand dollars from film commission as part of the digital innovation fund which is an absolute drop in the bucket for for game development um but it enabled us to at least yeah create a a, um, a small interactive project that proved that this story can be told inside a video game of some description, and then we can develop it from there. So, yeah, hopefully it's something we'll see more, happen more and more often. Yeah. Um, these numbers, um, what does AAA mean? Oh, so AAA uh, is a bit like the, the film equi- equivalent is Hollywood blockbuster. Right. So it's your... Um, how many gamers do we yes, have? Yes, that's in, a good question. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> now, now let, let, yes. Oh, yes, yes, for today. <laughs> yes, actually, just to qualify that, if you've ever played a little game on your um, on your tablet or played one with a um, one of your children or, or granddaughter or grandson, right up to whether you're a hardcore console gamer, then you're a gamer. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the question? I was just asking about, you said AAA. So oh. is that like a, you, I think that was a good explanation, the idea of a Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's definitely, that's your um, big titles like Assassin's Creed and and I shudder to say it, Grand Theft Auto um, and, and big games like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was going to start with the provocative title of this, um, of this <laughs> session. And I think when I spoke to you and Rhonda, sort of before we came here, you were both very adamant that perhaps this wasn't a book replacement program you were involved in. Could you talk a little bit about, like, just the title? Or maybe I can just ask you outright, who does need books when we have digital platforms? I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, for a start, you have to question what is a book now. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the biggest... Um, Redefinition that's going on. Is redefinition a word? I, I make up a lot of words. <laughs> um, so, you know, is a book still a physical piece of paper and cardboard and, and X tree that you're holding in your hand with, with um, you know, X dinosaurs um, printed on it? Or um, is it an ebook? Um, what exactly is it? And um, for me, the form of the book, which is just a linear front-to-back read, is still uh, an integral part of my life. And, and I've just, um, I just, I, I mentioned before, I, I didn't come to the conference yesterday. I was intending to, but my partner and I got all fired up about finishing my novel. So, we, <laughs> which, so she's my editor, and so we sat down and we finished it and, and sent it off to the beta readers yesterday. Awesome! So Congratulations. <laughs> And, um, Very cool. And the added little bit is um, I started writing that novel basically in Anahira's workshop. Yeah. So it's 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 happened. It happened. <laughs> 
So I think that the book is still here, this idea of linear. Can you maybe talk about where this idea of starting at page one and going to page, you know, 120 or 1,000, if you're reading Infinite Jest, um, sort of sits in the and kind of the logic and the brain of something like what we've just seen with Guardian, mm. where, yeah, where do the two sort of sit in your brain? Um, oh, interesting question. Um, if done well, and I hope we've done this well, I mean, this, this is what I was aiming for with Guardian, is that even though you're making choices along the way and, and the the story is effectively adapting to where you want it to go within, within a lot of constraints, of course, um, it should still feel like you're reading a front-to-back story. So, so the whole arc, the character arc should still be there. Um, the, you know, the key moments that you'll have in any narrative structure should all still be there, but they just happen in a different way because you've chosen to, to have them go that way. So uh, I think, yeah, once again, when done well, interactive fiction isn't that different from, from reading a book, but you get to sort of design the type of experience you want along the way. Mm. And the classic cases say, um, in a novel, you get to that point where, um, I'll just use a romance example since it sprung to mind, you know, should, um, should she choose um, between... Um, this person she's fallen in love with and who causes her endless strife or this person who feels like the safe option but she knows she can build a friendship with. In an interactive fiction, you can play that choice out and you can see where it goes. Mm. You can, you can um, follow the path of, of passion and disaster that that's pathway or you can follow the, you know, the touching building of a relationship that way. Um, and... With the tools that are used in Guardian, it means you don't have to write two whole novels to make that work. You can actually use the technology to kind of just tweak the dialogues, tweak the scene, it literally have little variables that go, if she chose person A, then change these four words in this dialogue. Or if she chose person B, plug in this short scene instead of this short scene. Mm. But then the rest of the plot, can, the main plot, can still carry on. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it's an experience. It should feel the same, but it does take quite a mindset shift to actually write the thing. You've kind of just blown my mind because I just <laughs> realised... No, it's I just realised, like, I've, I was just thinking of... Um, like Detroit Become Human, um, which I just watched um, my 12-year-old play. And, like, that is very much a storytelling game. You know, like, one of the activities is washing dishes. The um, female android gets to wash some dishes. Um, yay, 2018. Um, but um, I realised that there is climax, and even though like Toki was deciding where that game went, there was still built in this idea of rising tension, climax, and sort of denouement. And it didn't occur to me, that must take some real thinking. In the games industry, we talk about talk a lot about things called scope, uh, a thing called scope. Um, oh, is this Rhonda? Yay, Chorda! Yay! Thanks heaps. Welcome. Awesome, welcome. Oh, scope. Sorry, uh, we're just in the midst. So, um, yeah, so scope is how big something gets. And I think you, I mean, a lot of us here will have experienced that even with a short story or a novel, a short story that turns into a novella, that turns into a novel. That's a, a, a case of scope where the story needs a larger platform to be told in. So in a, getting back to your question, um, what you need to then be careful with is think about, okay, how literally how much influence am I going to allow the player to have over the story? And so, yes, it's like the, the, so the passionate, disastrous romance could take the player right through to um, the, the mental health issues they develop along the way and all the emotional strife they go through, but you can also bottleneck it. So... If you do want your happily ever after still, what you do is I would bottleneck it brutally by you go down that path and the other partner is supportive throughout the whole thing and then that person dies in a tragic llama accident and then um, 
then the friend is there to to help support the player, and you're back onto the main storyline again. Yeah, you could do that. But if you did, I do know of interactive novels, for instance. One is, which I'd highly recommend, is Choice of Robots. Now, Choice of Robots explores the impact of artificial intelligence on the world. And I'm amazed by how many choices, like different pathways, uh, that author has written. It's something like a 400,000-word work. But, uh, yeah, it's really impressive. It's quite amazing because it makes everything we do, yeah, all sorts of interesting things are coming into my brain about what we do. I mean, I do on the page. Um, kia ora. I'd just like to break for a minute and introduce um, Rhonda Kite. Hey. Hi. Oh, kaito. Um, and you are the founder of Kiwa Digital, which is awesome. Rhonda's is based in um, Dubai. Is that still? Yeah, wow. And um, Kiwa are specialists in digital media technology and productions and the cultural localization of transmedia content. Um, you're an award-winning producer, and Rhonda has pioneered an advanced technology for foreign language dubbing solutions and screen industry with VoiceQ. Um, now, you are recognised for this in the Queen's Birthdays Honours as um, Office of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Media, Technology, Television and Film. Thank you for all that work. It's amazing. I'll just say thank you. Um, I don't know. I was wondering if we were just talking about the sort of topic of this session, you know, like who needs books. And I think that when we spoke over email, you were saying... Yeah, you had some great things to say about that, and I wonder if I can just start by asking you that question out. Like, um, it doesn't seem like either of you are in the process of trying to eliminate books. Would you like to talk a little bit about oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, no way. No, no way are they to be eliminated. I mean, you know, very sadly, I saw a cartoon uh, recently, um, and it had uh, two doors. One had a sign, free library books. The other one had a sign, free Wi-Fi. And you had people being stuffed outside, out the door. You know, they were all in, in footsteps and there was no one going in the free library. And then one of the comments on there was um, something about, oh, yes, but we're going to change that. You know, it was just Facebook kind of commentary. And I thought, well, how sad. How sad that people think that they have to make a choice. I mean, what, what's that about? You know, the, the, the pendulum is swung, is swung this way. I mean, and that's what happens with new technologies, new ideas, new politics, new policies, new everything. It goes right that way. And then it comes back. And we're only, I say, only a decade into this digital publishing kind of phenomenon, if you like. It's here to stay. There is absolutely no, no doubt about that. And so it should. But at the same time, um, the printed material, for me, from an emotional intelligence perspective, allows the reader to be able to tangibly connect with something, with it, with the story, with the words, with the sense, with the wairua, with whatever the author has um, conjured up, if you like, in their world. It's coming out in the world, and it's coming at you, whether you're reading it physically or not. You're seeing those words, and they're going ping, 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 ping. Your brain's really smart, mm. smarter than you think it is. Um, as I get older and start to lose my memory about where I should be at certain times, um, but what I do do is that I can open a page, and I can scan now quicker than I ever, than I ever could. Even though I work in this world, I find it really difficult to, to read a whole book on a digital um, digital platform, I would reach. I'll reach for my paper book any time. <clears throat> That's probably why I work in short form and digital. So I work in children's colour picture books. Um, I work in um, uh, graphic novellas. Uh, specifically, we design them for um, front frontline learning materials for social um, enterprises, organisations, corporates, etc. Um, so I guess it's a long-winded answer to. Um, Nana, <laughs> they're both here, and uh, won't be tied us actually if you know we try to go too far the other way. Mm, yeah, can you maybe talk a little bit about when you first saw the potential for this? Um, there's a really beautiful statement on the website that says. Um, Kiwa Digital has produced a quality set of graphic novels that support our goal of revitalising te reo Māori in online and offline communities. 
that seems incredible. Can you talk a little bit about this potential, or well, it's already doing it, like how the online can affect the offline and the offline can affect the online maybe? Uh, sure. <coughs> I think it gets down to sometimes, you know, different levels of literacy. Um, and I always come back to this, that um, some of us are visual, others are not, you know, it's more the, the word or and, and oral as well. I, I come from the sound industry, so that's where I started in media. Um, so for me, hearing it is really important to me. Um, so I, I bring all that, so I figured, if I've got this multifaceted way of learning and enjoying um, my information and entertainment, and so ultimately, hopefully, education, um, that maybe there's other people on the planet who are like me as well. Um, I've got a, funny, I've got a very long attention span with, with fiction and very, very short with non-fiction. Mm. So when I, when I work in that medium, it, like in frontline materials, I find a very creative way of being able to pass that information on. That said, I know that I can't do everything in one publication. That's silly. I think for me, if I try to do that, I'm just going to trip over myself. So as an example, I'm currently working on a project with Oranga Tamariki, and we're creating graphic novellas for frontline um, uh, whānau caregivers. And we're creating short stories. <clears throat> and they're dramatic, sort of, you know, stories, novellas about certain situations. What we're doing um, within, the, so they're contemporary stories, but we're also weaving in Pūrāka mm. as well. So stories of our deity to give Fano caregivers um, a sense, if you like, of um, finding solutions to their um, the situations that they find themselves in when they're suddenly um, landed uh, with foster kids. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's two categories of, of fostering. The C one is those who who choose to do it and get paid to do do so, and C two are Fano caregivers. Uh, law states that the children, um, uh, Māori Pacific Island children, should be uh, predominantly placed with whānau. So I interviewed one woman grandmother who had half an hour's notice and had two children on her doorstep. And she was looking forward, she was like 68 and looking forward to mm -hmm. sitting back, you know, she had brought <laughs> up her two kids, she was good, she was being nana, and boom, it happened. Her, um, her daughter had died the son-in-law eventually lost it, drugs, I think. And um, so she ended up with these kids, um, they were five and seven. So how do you, how do you manage that? <clears throat> At first you go, well, you've got no choice for a start as a nana for her and certainly for me in my situation. Um, so you take the child and then you've got to fit that child around your life, right? And you do have a life now. You know, you've got a job, you've got your mates, you've got your cars paid off, hopefully either low rent or your, your house is paid off and, you know, you're going to go with your girlfriends off to Paris for a weekend or whatever. Um, and now you've got these kids with you. Her dilemma was that she didn't know whether she was a grandmother or a mother and how to be in that situation. So, and I absolutely uh, relate to that as well. So you go from Nana being, you know, giving ice cream in your little bowls and that on a Sunday and pat pat on the head and off you go to being the screaming banshee that you were 30 years ago, mm. right? Um, and you're still holding down your job as well and still trying to have your life. So all hell lets loose in this household. And um, my characters, then I've called her Jane, and she's going, this can't be so hard. Why is this so hard? I love these children so much. Why is it so hard for me to care for them? And so because she's a modern nana, she gets on her phone and um, she goes searching on the internet and looks to see what the family, family structure was like back in the day, back in the day of Māori. Right, and she comes across the story of, of um, Papa Tuanuku and Danganui. Now, this story is that they are, they are the first family in Maori cosmos, mm -hmm. mythology, deity, whatever you like to call it, and they were joined together in a beloved embrace and very selfishly as well, because their children were born in darkness, and so it stunted their growth. Um, uh, was it Tani Mahuta? decided that, and you know, shared with his siblings, and there was some, some opposition to this, that they were to force their parents apart so that light could come in so that they could grow and they could flourish. So that was his job, and he did, and he forced them apart. And it was quite a traumatic part, parting. 
for the two of them. The Ranginui's here, Papa Tuanuku's down here, and then they mourn for each other, they cry for each other. And so the tears mingle, she turns on her back, and so the mounds of her body become the, uh, the mountains and the land, and the tears of Rangi and, um, and his, her, his beloved uh, become the rivers and the streams. That is the first family. To placate Papa, the siblings decide to hand over their children to her so she can continue her nurturing and just to make her feel, you know, sort of less mournful, if you like. So she does that and she becomes the first grandmother. In learning the story, Jane then goes, got it. I'm neither a grandmother nor, nor a mother. I'm just here to care for these little beings for the time that they are with me. Hopefully their father will come right, except to all the storyline happens outside. But um, that has taken the pressure off her, and now she can ask for help. Because guess what? She forgot to ask for help. Um, so son comes. He has to stop his sulking because... <laughs> just come on in and help out. Nieces come in, um, etc. And, um, you know, life's still as busy as hell, but they're getting on with it and for the time that they are together. And that's the kind of story that we're, we're talking 20 pages, maybe uh, 55 to 60 frames, um, 600 words. Uh, and very, um, and within these stories as well, I'm putting links in. And I'm putting in links to where people can get help and um, uh, for. Um, building it around the characters, mm. yeah? Mm. So I've got another character, Tania, who's a, an auntie. And um, she's blatantly talking to, she's talking to you through the, her rear vision mirror, right? And she's telling you, that this is what you can do, this is where you can go, you know, those sorts of things. Now, so we've got that on digital and they're all bilingual and they're absolutely beautiful and the mm. pictures are gorgeous. But there are some people who, and it's not about not having access to devices because everybody does, that's not the issue. There are some who just prefer paper. So I'm encouraging Oranga Tamariki to print them off as comics and to put them out in the doctor's surgeries and the, you know, the, the runanga, wherever, wherever they can put them. And, um, yeah, and cover both sides, you know. I mean, you just want to roll over and pick up a comic and read and just kind of become a bit more knowledgeable. And, and what these, these publications are designed to do is to make the reader curious about asking for more information, mm. because that means asking for help. And when you're in a situation like that, a stressful situation like that, it's probably the last thing that you think of doing. Mm. Totally true. Um, I think like what's really interesting when we're talking to Edwin and talking to you is this idea of story, you know, like whether we're making this multi-million dollar video game or I'm sitting at home writing a letter to somebody or emailing someone, we're often talking about story and the idea of a writer and a reader. And Edwin, I wonder, could you, do you have any thoughts about what a reader looks like, a reader, you know, like in inverted commas, like, oh, thank you, sorry. I could have, yeah, sorry. We've had one, we're <laughs> two microphones. We'll we're we're, we're doing very good. Yeah, we're doing awesome. But could you maybe talk a little bit about what a reader looks like and maybe in, con uh, you know, um, sort of extending from that, what a writer looks like in this, in this context? Yeah, actually, that, another really good question. Um, one that I've never thought about before. So, no, no, that's okay. Um, if I think back on a process when we were um, designing Guardian, uh, Maru and I would discuss back and forth about exactly how much of a, a game it is and how much of a story it is mm -hmm. and where the, the priority should be. And um, we both agreed that the the our, our ideal player is actually still a reader. So mm. we wanted a reader to enjoy it first and then a gamer second to hopefully enjoy it. Um, but I think, yeah, we've gone through a real kind of um, transformation of what a reader is through the digital technologies because I, I found even with working with games like um, Path of Exile, which is a, a, a big RPG, mm is that you would get you would get most players I think the stats were about 85% who would just hammer through and, and nail as many monsters as they could and get the big loot and, and basically just have a good old destructive time um, 
Then you had this minority of 15% who would stop and listen to every character. They would read every tome in the game. They would um, go on to Reddit and then discuss with other people who were interested in that about, um, you know, about what certain uh, books they found in the in the game meant. And, mm-hmm. and so that, that meant that, you know, as part of my role, I could create these fragments of story, these diary entries, these scratchings on a on a on a wall, these um, you know, all of these different snippets of stories that then people could collect up. I've got this weird um watching um my twelve year old again, you know, non lexical does is as unable to read, um, is struggling and, you know, learning. And I feel like all Tookie's narrative fix comes from games and, and they have a lot of autonomy in their games. And I feel like this idea of writer and reader are kind of which brings me to slam, like the work that you do and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about empowering these new sort of readers to become writers or, you know, like, could you talk a little bit about that? It's an amazing yeah. project. I, I, I think of, I just think of writers. Mm. I don't think of readers yeah. when, we're doing, when we're doing this project because everyone's a writer. Mm. So, um, so I have a program um, that, um, I'll tell you a teeny bit of history. So in 2012, I was invited to speak at the um, um, Alaska Association of School Boards <coughs> on the um, uh, retention and revitalization of, dig- of uh, indigenous languages in the digital form. So I'm on day three in Anchorage, Alaska, right? So what are you going to do for two days in Anchorage, Alaska? You, know, you breathe <laughs> and it's frozen sort of thing. So I said to my colleagues, um, you know, give me a room full of kids, 20, say, um, and lock us away for two days, and we're going to write a book. And we're going to write a book and celebrate our cultures. Uh, they said, you're mad, let's do it. It was 10 <laughs> days to go. So they flew these kids in from all over Alaska, from different tribes. Um, some had to catch planes to go catch planes. That's how, <laughs> how, how remote they were. So we, did, we ended up with these, um, with these 20 young people, and I split them up into groups. And then I just, making it up as we were going along, um, and in 48 hours, they had written a book, and it, it was in bilingual. Now, the bilingual bit was each page was in a different dialect of different tribes, right? Uh, by the time day three came, we were able to... Oh, I sent it back to New Zealand. My boys were on graveyard shift, and they made the book, <laughs> and they sent it back. And then um, uh, Sunday morning, I was able to get up and say to these 500 teachers that while you've been sitting here wondering about what to do, um, you know, for digital education, e-learning, that sort of thing, um, your children have been locked away and they've written this book just for you. There were 18 students who wouldn't say boo to a goose from when they walked into the room, and 18 of those students stood up in front of 500 people and spoke about their book. So many things came out of that. I noticed the schools that didn't have an art teacher so the art teacher was floating around. She shared with me later that her husband had been retired early mm-hmm. because they didn't see any need for an art teacher because computers were there. So why do you need it, you know? Yeah. Um, so we had this art teacher who then I asked, would she float around to the other schools and, um, and work with them? And so she did. So, you know, there were kids who couldn't draw, couldn't draw um, that, you know, uh, started to kind of look at the pictures, and then start visualising the words that went with the pictures. So it kind of went, it it goes very much hand in hand. And so I put the parameters around it, no more than 25 words per page, two languages, Um, this is the story arc, this is what happens, you're here, da-da, big problem happens, and then we have to resolve it. And yay, we live happily ever after. Um, We did that in 48 hours. So I came back and I started doing it here, privately, funding it myself. Ministry of Education um, funded a little bit. It had one program at the Success for Boys. It was outstanding. Um, uh, Professor Jenny Poskett just wrote this raving um, case study review about it. And no, that education didn't want it anymore. Wow. No. <laughs> so I packed up and I went to the Middle East. <laughs> And now we're there and we're working, the program is working through schools um, in the UAE and they've put it under the, um, the curriculum, if you like, mm-hmm. of Islamic and Arabic language studies. And so these children write books about themselves and in the world, within their religion, within their language. And it's not all God-bothering or anything. Mm. It's just these 
Yeah, yeah. And so we add things as well to the books. So we make them interactive. We, we take instructions from them to um, any animations that they want, any sound effects that they want, and we enhance them in that way for them as well. And that's a nice surprise. The most important thing is that they now become published authors on the iTunes mm. store and the Google Play store. And it's something that they can put into their, their CV, if you like. So we're usually aged around 7 to 13, and then we have a different model that we use for um, 13 plus. The emotional learning around that um, is about working in collaboration with other human beings. Because guess what? When you get out into the world, you're going to have to look at another human being and talk to them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and sadly, um, uh, the way that we're, I don't know, you know, just the the way that children are interacting with their devices at the moment is separating them from, uh, from human beings. And so from discussion and conversation and negotiation, um, I put the rules around for a purpose because I want the group to negotiate about, we want two animations on this play page, miss. And in the Middle East, what they want, they get. Not from this auntie, they don't. Mm. So I say, okay, you want two on one page? Cool, you're going to have to take one away from the other. And then there'll be an argument, I call it a negotiation, and then they get to it. And I tell you, look, honestly, at the end of the day, these kids are so proud of what they've written. And it's my story, Miss, and I'm a Kiwa kid. Mm. You know, and these are kids who are with English as a second language. Uh, we're currently working with a school uh, that's a trilingual um, in Abu Dhabi, and they're uh, English, Chinese, and Arabic. Funnily enough, that started when Trump got in. So, and they're opening six more schools. Um, so, um, so we work in trilingual as well. And we also work in sign language. So our books are there in sign mm. as an additional language. Um, all the text is synchronized, right? Synchronized to audio. So you can listen to it and you can see the text highlighting at the same time. So that's your trigger for your reading, if you like. Uh, but these children are, are authors and they're writing books um, because everyone can write. Mm. I remember sitting in front of Rudu uh, uh, Hayward, Hayward, Rudu Hayward's oh. wife, Ramai, Ramai Hayward one time, and I told her that I wanted to write a short film. This is when I was in my film days. Um, and I said, but I can't write. And she was horrified. She all but slapped me. Mm. She says, everyone can write. So I went home and I wrote my short film in one paragraph and gave up. Um, but I'll do that. I'll do that one day. But I remember that when she said that. You know, I said to her, "I can't write. I don't know how to write." And yet, I was an avid reader and a storyteller, like mm. anything. I was always telling my little brother's stories. Um, somehow, I didn't think of myself as a writer. Um, and I think that what our course does, what our program does, is that it brings all that together. So, for those who say to us, "Oh, I can't spell Miss," well, you can talk, can't you? You know, let's get it down. Let's record it. Let's talk. Um, I want to, um, they'll say, you know, I want to look on the computer for graphics. No, you're going to do it by hand because guess what? You get your nails dirty, yeah? That's what happens in life. You go over the lines when you colour in. Rub it out. There is no auto-fill-in in my, in my programs. And I've walked out of jobs and turned jobs down who have said, oh, we want auto-fill. Nah, I don't do that. Mm. So I guess... Everyone's a writer. Mm. Everyone's mm. a writer. And so if you're a writer, you're a reader, whether you read with your eyes or your ears. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, we're very big fans in our house and really appreciate it. I think it's made a real difference. Um, yeah, it's made it, yeah, just applauds, applauds. Um, this, what I think is really interesting and is coming out is that I – I think that there's this idea of writers as maybe solitary people, but what we're hearing a lot is collaboration. And I just think it's really exciting, and I don't know if that's because this is a new platform and we're finding new ways to do it, or, you know, I mean, we've always been able to collaborate on the page, but we've sort of veered away from it a little bit, maybe. Could you talk a little bit about what, when you're writing, the skills that you're using when you're writing a novel, or the skills that you were using when you were writing script. Can you talk a little bit about how those, do they, what do they bring to the work that you do with 
some of the games. Like, is there any crossover or is it a different, yeah, like this idea, I don't know. That was a very badly worded question. Never I, never ask a question like that. But I totally understand what oh you Oh, my mean. God. Edwin and I are like, yeah, yeah. some both um, yeah, weird communicators. But, yeah, so, I mean, maybe something about collaboration, maybe something about, you know, is... is you know, are there skills that you learnt in novel writing that help, you know, with the other work? Um, yes, yes, there are crossover skills. Um, I know, it, uh, I remember actually you, you asked me that question when we were working things out on, online to, of what to say, and I think I was quite contentious about it. I like it. Be contentious. <laughs> we were amongst friends. Um, now, <laughs> yeah, there, there are definitely skills that cross over between, say, I'll just specifically talk about... Um, let's say, linear writing, which I would put, say, novels and screenplays in, um, and, and TV, um, over to interactive writing. There are a lot of crossover skills, but not as many as you'd think. Mm. And I've, I've seen this firsthand, and I've had to... I've actually been hired in to tidy up um, messes that, that um, other writers have left, I'm afraid, and it was usually the case where a game studio has started up, they've never worked with a writer before, so they've read a novel or seen a TV series or seen a film by this writer and they've brought them in, which is great. The characters are great, the, the background's great, the dialogue is usually pretty good, but they have no idea how to actually place um, the reader as the hero of the story, and that's the key difference with interactive work. Um, just, just as actually with, with you know, the students you're working with, they become empowered and it becomes my story. That's the aim of a good game, is that the player feels like um, I've made the choices, um, I've done this, this game is responding to me, this is my experience, this is my story experience even though they really are just picking up bits of story and, and kind of putting them together in their own way, mm -hmm. that's still, they're, they're creating a story for, them, for themselves. So the key mindset shift between linear writing and interactive is going not as, who's, who's, the, uh, who's the protagonist here? And um, as, as John Marsden said, you know, like one of the key things of finishing writing a story is working out the voice of the protagonist. Mm -hmm. In the interactive writer's case, you have to almost work out the voice of the player. What mm. do you think they want to say, and how can you deliver that? Mm. Um, and, I, and I just wanted to sort of pick up on something Rhonda said as well about um, generally about accessibility of publishing now, of you know students being able to publish their work on Google Play and and um, the App Store, which is fantastic. And now I think. Um, there are so many different technologies that allow us to um, express ourselves and make money out of it. Mm. So a good example is, let's say, that how the, the book publishing industry has gone over the last, say, 20 years. So 20 years ago, if you wanted to self-publish a book, it was called Vanity Press, you know, and, and you had to pay a Vanity Press publisher to, to publish your book and... and and all the hassle that went with that. And then ebooks came along and Kindle publishing came along. So now you've got a self publishing revolution where people can write their story, they can put it up on Amazon, they can market themselves, they get 70% 70, 70 of that money back. Mm. And suddenly the whole um, accessibility is just so much wider. And then print has now caught up where you've got print on demand where you can write your story, you can put it up on Ingram Spark and now um, KDP print, mm. and people can order a physical copy of your book. But for a long time, that physical copy was actually a barrier to authors yeah. because it could only be produced by a publisher. Mm. Now you can effectively produce the print, so it's come full circle. Mm. So I think actually the technology uh, has given so much more freedom to writers but it's important, like when you've got people saying, oh, they, we don't need an art teacher because we've got computers now. <laughs> it's, I, I recently, I listened to an interview with um, Joanna Penn and Tim Growl. Joanna Penn's a fantastic uh, self-publishing guru. And Tim Growl um, used the example of, you don't go to your toolbox, pick up a hammer and go, what am I going to make with this? Yeah. You go, 
I want to build a chicken house. What do I need? What tools do I need to build that? But people will go, okay, what am I, how am I going to market my book on Twitter? It's like, mm. well, it doesn't matter if it's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. It's what do you actually want to say is still the most important thing. So mm. I think, yeah, regardless of the tools and the technology, it's still what's the story you want to tell, and you'll find the best technology mm. to, to, to tell it. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. Um, I was talking, said to me the other day, um, why are indie games the best games? And you've written a little bit about independent um, game design. You've written a fantastic book. I'm going to plug it. Oh, do, oh, he's got a copy. He's going to show you. He's going to show you a copy. Um, I, feel like, I feel like giving it yeah, to someone just have, today. Had one here <laughs> that I prepared earlier. Oh my gosh! I've, narrative design for indies. And I wondered if you could just maybe explain. It's a beautiful book. It's a book. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the difference between narrative design because it feels like narrative design. Um, I don't know. I, I'm really stupid and I often think, oh, narrative design will cost the same no matter whether you're making a big game or a small game or however it works. But could you talk a little bit about narrative design for indies? Yeah, I, really, I know you've written an entire book, but I don't know. How does it differ just like off, you know, top of the head? The beautiful thing I think I found with being a narrative designer for indies is that you actually end up working with the indie game developer to tell their story. So yeah. it's, a mu it's a much deeper collaborative process. Um, you, you find out what, what's the story experience they want the player to have, and then you help them create it. Now, uh, and of course, then they have to come to trust you as the storyteller yeah. in this. So often, you know, there will be ideas that will come your way that you, you, that you just know that's just not going to work. That's, <laughs> sorry, that's stupid. So you, you guide them through it and you find out, okay, well, what, what emotions do you want the player to feel? Mm. And what's the story we could tell to, to bring about that experience? And, and usually, you know, you can come around and, and make that work. My limited experience with AAA um, was that uh, you'll get told, okay, we want a story with these elements, make it. <laughs> and then you'll present that. Actually, you'll present that after having probably 12 meetings about with other people about how to make the story. You'll present it, you'll pitch it. Um, the producer will go, yeah, cool, cool. I'll just run that by um, the directors. And then the directors will come back and go, no, we don't like that. Uh, we want you to tell this story. So you go, okay. And then 12 meetings and, and that whole process goes. So, yeah, that's why I work with indies. <laughs> Sounds cool. Um, Rhonda, can I just ask one real fangirl question? And then I might open it up because I bet there's some good questions sitting out here. Um, I don't know how to phrase this. It must have taken a lot of guts to like step out and say, I'm going to do this. And I just wonder, can you, what, what do you think were maybe the events that led up to sort of going out on your own? Or what do you think were the events that, or the mindset or, yeah. yeah. I just wonder if you've got any advice for people that, yeah. Oh, knockbacks. Yeah. Knockbacks really. And, um, and also in broadcasting, working in a, in an artificial environment, so you know, um, in terms of business, I mean, you're 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 in funded funded um, environment, so there's only a certain amount of money. So you're, you know, everyone's running on scarcity. There's no abundance here. Mm. Um, we're all after the same putea, and there's only so much, and there's not going to be any more. <laughs> you know, um, and it wears you down. It just wears you down. And I think that in the end, when I started, and I'm a real Saint Steve Jobs fan. Um, we, you know, uh, being a Mac girl and seeing the, the, the tablet coming and a whole bunch of stuff, you know, um, the time in my life when I needed to take control mm. over my own artistic and creative um, journey, right? After working in broadcasting and sound for so long, um, I was, I was, you know, it's funny because you, there is out of balance. Yeah, and out of balance is a, is a healthy thing. Um, and then when you start to come into balance, you start to understand more about why you're actually doing this. And so it just goes ping, puts you on another little step in your journey. You know, for me, um, my, my uh, epiphanies in life have never come with uh, bolts of lightning. Mm. They've just been 
interesting little weenie twists, you know. Um, so I guess the answer is that it's just my own personal growth, you know, mm. from decade to decade. You know, I change. Mm. We all change. Um, and so my journey changes, and so I adjust myself to the world that's around me and how it's coming at me and how I re relate to it. <coughs> mm. It's... Um, you couldn't write that in a book. No. <laughs> one to ten of how to get what you want sort of thing. Can I also say while I remember, though, that the art teacher, um, she, she works at a, a high school in uh, Kodiak Island um, in Alaska, and I followed up with her later, and the Education uh, Association had been flying her around Alaska giving art lessons. And her husband came out of retirement and started to travel with her. Nice. Yeah, that, is that was a good, good story. And that's freaky, eh? How, like, like we keep worrying about how technology is going to do us out of jobs, but that's almost like technology put her, you know what I mean? Like the process. And I think we're yeah. going to see that. And yeah. we're starting to see it in, in, in so many ways. Um, um, so if you want to see that book, it's called We Are Alaska, and you can find it on the App Store. Just really search. Um, it's now on their account. Uh, I think it's on. Um, anyway, you'll find it. We are Alaska. Um, and look at the artwork, and then you tell me, you'll notice the school that had the, the art teacher. Mm. So, yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. And just before we open up for questions, Edwin, can I ask you a similar question? Like, you know, you were doing one thing, and then it wasn't a complete pivot, but it was. Oh, I'm using Trump terms now. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a – but like how do we know when we're – I guess we don't always know we're moving in the right direction, do we? No, we don't. And sometimes you need a good solid push. Um, and um, I, was, I was happy to see that South Pacific Pictures um, uh, were sponsoring this yeah. event. Yeah. And I'm also happy to say that um, it was them that made me go to uh, video games because <laughs> I, I started out at um, – as a storyliner for Shortland Street, I did script writing for a while, and then I got fired. And um, and the reason I was fired was that, and a quite valid reason, I couldn't write in the Shortland Street voice, or mm. I I could no longer write in the Shortland Street voice. So my my own voice was bubbling to the surface, and uh, it wasn't Chris Warner's voice, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> I had, Sorry. I had to go. <laughs> and so that forced me to pivot and um, think about, okay, well, what sort of writer do I actually want to be? And then I looked back and thought, gosh, I've been playing video games my entire life. I said to myself, when I retire, this is, I said this while I was writing for TV, when I retire from TV writing, I'm going to do this for like however many years and I'm going to retire and I'm just going to play tons of video games. And then I thought, why am I waiting to retirement? Why, why can't I? How can I get people to pay me to play video games? And that's, that's how game writing. To the I like that a lot. Um, are there any questions now? This um, session is being recorded, so I might pass you the microphone if you have a question. But is there anyone got a burning question? Sorry, the lead into the question is going to be quite long to explain why I'm asking it, but you started off saying that there, there are two categories of gamers, one who just wants to do the shoot 'em up and the others that need the in-depth story to actually get satisfaction. When you decided that you were going to um, step away from Shortland Street, you obviously were driven by storytelling. Did you realise that there was that two different elements then? Like, did you target storytelling um, in your gaming as your first priority? It, most definitely. Um, but it wasn't because I consciously knew at that point about the difference between a what I call a law junkie, <laughs> which is a yeah, which is a story focused player, mm. versus a hardcore, which is a, a mechanics focused player. I didn't understand that probably until at least a couple of years into writing um, for Path of Exile, it was. It was a real, it was, it was something I discovered along the way. But I knew I definitely wanted to go into story writing in games um, for two reasons. One, because I can't program to save my life. And the second one is, um, <laughs> actually, remind me when John Marsden said, you know, he said he read some books and said, oh, I can do better than this. Game stories were so terrible that I, that I felt like I can help I can help here. I can yeah. I can do something about this, and so that was the 
to other motivations. So you didn't actually know that there was a market there. You knew what you wanted, but you didn't know that there was a market. Yeah, true. And and so I just kind of went for it, hoping that it would work out. And no. luckily it, it did. Yeah. You say it's only 15... Sorry, no. I'm hogging. Um, um, you say it's only 15%. But from what I've seen is there's, there's the real geeks are the ones that have to have all of that and that are tracking all of that, and that, and that's only 15%? Oh, that, that was specifically for – that was the stats I saw for specifically that game, Path of Exile. Right, it, right. it really varies. There's a huge yeah, spectrum of, um, you know, you'll have players who choose to play that kind of um, – uh, what do you call it, monster slaughter game, and 15% of them are interested in story. Right, right. But then you'll get people who play Telltale uh, games, which mm, are mm. sort of interactive movies, effectively, mm. and you're looking at 95% of those people are interested in story. So, yeah, mm. there's, there's a real spectrum. In China and in South Korea, the online novels where you, writers can write just a chapter by chapter is quite hot. Um, so you don't even have to finish your book, or you can have it already finished, but you release them chapter by chapter, maybe one a week, and people read the first few ones for free to get hooked into it, and if they like it, they maybe pay 10, 20 cents per chapter as they read. So that's working over there in the Eastern world, but is there anything like that in the Western world? And do you see that working in New Zealand or America and all that? Well, I think it could. I think it could and should. Um, I, I go back to my days when I was a kid and go, used to go to the pitches, right, and we had cereals then. Mm. So, um, you know, you, either Lone Ranger or Heidi, someone was, was hanging off a cliff, you know, at the end, of, and you had to wait till next Saturday <laughs> to see whether they survived or not. Um, and I hang on to that, and I think that we can, um, in this, this, you know, world that we've created of instant gratification, you know, takes away that suspense and stuff. It's like, you know, I want to get to the end and see who's, you know how it ends kind of thing. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I do know of a, uh, some, some companies who are doing that. So, for instance, Tin Man Games in Australia, uh, they've got a series called Choices um, that does exactly that. So you, they'll release episodes and then you can buy tickets to basically make the next big decision in, in the game. So that's worth looking at. And another one which my, my daughters have been really into, uh, there's two outfits, there's episode and also called choices mm. yeah and and likewise um they're, they're serialized so they'll put up episodes of each one and, and it's all interactive and they love it the only issue i have with those ones particularly episode is that they charge you gems to make the right decision oh. like I, one example was <laughs> this girl was being blackmailed and the blackmailer was saying you have to break this boy's heart and um, it was like, what do you do? You're right there now. Do you break up with him or do you tell him the truth? Break up with him, free. Tell the truth, 40 gems. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not happy. <laughs> My goodness. God in the machine. Thank you so much. That was just such a great session. And thank you for the awesome questions as well. I thought it was really important just to explain where people can go and see more of this work. So if you Google Kiwa, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kiwa Digital um, and Kiwa Digital Middle East will pop up as well, and all our books are there, and they're all free. Yeah, and I'm really sorry that we didn't get to it, but um, there's some amazing um, sort of cultural literacy um, apps yes. on um, the app store as well. Could you talk for two seconds about that? Oh, they're really fantastic. Uh, sure, you can build your own pepeha. Mm. So my pepeha, and that's free too. Uh, to Toda Fiddy, uh, sponsored it for Māori Language Week, um, and my grandson, who's ADHD, um, but also a genius, and also a genius, uh, recites his pepeha in three languages. It's Spanish, amazing. Italian. It's so good. And how do we, and so yeah, the App Store and iTunes Store, eh? Oh, what do we call the iTunes Store? Uh, just the Apple Oh, that's store. the Apple Store. That's the oh, okay. Google and Google Play. Play. Thank Google you, Play. proprietary. Um, and <laughs> where do we find your stuff? So, so likewise, Guardian is on um, Google Play for free right right now, uh, and we're getting it onto the App Store soon, also for free. Um, and oh, for, for anything related to me, it's just um, if you Google Edwin McRae, then I pop up because 
because <laughs> I just hustle on the internet. Yeah, you're good at that. He's good at that. Um, it just we can just now say thank you to these two amazing people for their amazing work. New Zealand Society of Authors, Tipuni Kaituhi o Aotearoa, Pen NZ Incorporated, is the principal organisation representing writers in New Zealand. We want to continue to provide opportunities for you to grow in your professional development. That's why we've started NZSA Web Workshops. Visit our website, authors.org.nz, to find out about these opportunities. Experienced writers and teachers will lead them. And we hope that they help you to grow as a writer and face whatever tomorrow brings. Our website again is authors.org.nz.